and welcome to the Take to Take podcast. My name is Luke Burrows. This is episode 55, and I am joined today just by Patrick Talon as our third member, Nick Robinson, is off being a good brother. Uh, Patrick, the Montreal Canadiens didn't get two points last night. How do you uh, how do you feel? Do you think they should blow it up? Yeah, a little disappointed. A yeah. little disappointed. Yeah, that I would be they, too. Didn't, they didn't get the two points. Pretty pretty. Uh, um, on the other hand, Vancouver lost a nail biter uh, at home to Winnipeg. <laughs> really could have gone either way, but uh, yeah, Vancouver Vancouver out on two points as well. Um, no, in all seriousness, um, we had our first our first. COVID postponement in the North Division yes, last night did. between the Montreal Canadiens and the Edmonton Oilers. Who was it? Uh, Joel Armia and um, Jasper Kotkanemi? Uh, yes. As far well, we don't know for sure. I think, yes, but that those were the two that were put on the, the protocol list. Yes. What do you make of that? Like, are they're scheduled to play tonight as well, right? No, that was just, I just checked. And as far as what Pierre Lebrun said, it's also probably going to be canceled. I can triple check. But again, I think people... I don't know if you saw Connor McKenna's tweets. He's a six, TSN 690 guy, and he kind of just went on a rant, and he said he was saying maybe there was some Finnish gathering in Montreal that that they went to, and just kind of stuff that was inappropriate. And I think fi- people... A Finnish, like Finland. Yes, yes. Okay. Anyway, and I feel like be, them being on the co- – it's all it's all for just to be cautionary. Like, the they're on the list doesn't mean they have COVID. Yep. Uh, it's not a positive until we hear that it's positive. There have been like so many players who've been put on this protocol list only to not be positive. But actually, the last time Montreal played Edmonton or one of the last times, the same thing happened, and it was rumored that Pugliarvi could have had it, um, but then it was a it was a false negative or something like that. So we won't really know. The game. They played uh, the game in that yeah. case, which is a different issue. But yeah, so we won't we won't know until we find out. But um, you know, I saw someone suggesting that it could just be one of them. Uh, who was it? But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this game's going to be postponed, but they should be playing it tomorrow. So, well, uh, so when I was planning this show, uh, Montreal's last game was supposed to be against Edmonton last night, but as of now, it is still against uh, the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, it is. And they played a two game series. Both got uh, both got three points out of that. Both game first game went to show overtime. Uh, second game went to shootout. So, yes. um. I'll I'll uh, I'll be honest. Montreal shouldn't be shouldn't be going to no, they uh, shouldn't overtime and shootout with Vancouver twice in a row and losing one of them again. Do you think Montreal should blow it up? Mm. Is that a sincere mm. question? Do you really think I are you asking me if I actually think they should blow it up? Uh no, not yet. Or Maybe next week. But close. Okay. We're getting there. They should not be losing to Vancouver, and. I think it all kind of points to the overtime strategy and well, yeah. Do you want to, what is that? Like look, three on three look, overtime is supposed to be the most exciting part of the game. And Montreal, it it sucks watching Montreal play three on three overtime. Trust me, it's it's harder as a Habs fan watching it. So look, first of all, Montreal's got points in every single game against Vancouver this year. I think all the games they've lost, they've never lost in regulation. It's always been a shootout. There was the one, I think it was the first or second game in Vancouver that they lost in the shootout yeah. when Toffoli hit the post. And then there was the game uh, Friday. Uh, JT Miller had that really nice goal. So at really, least really, pop- really nice goal. Yeah. Really nice goal. Yes. And yes. Uh, at least they still got points in the rest of them. I think for the most part, they play well. They can kind of uh, capitalize on or take advantage of Vancouver's pretty weak defenseman. 
uh, with all due respect, with the exception of Quinn Hughes. Anyway, but as far as three on three, we can jump into that because I'm with you that it is the most frustrating thing to watch. I don't even know how I looked back. I've tweeted the same thing about their overtime like 20 times. Uh, I don't know what their strategy is. I feel like under Ducharme and under Julian, they never, that wasn't something they really practiced. Um, and they've said that, like they haven't had a lot of time to practice it. Once Ducharme came over, they've had no more than one day off. And now the only technically the only gap of days off they've had would be uh, this period because of the, the postponement. But um, I don't know. I, I'm so frustrated. I'm so sick of it because every single time, uh, you know, and it's funny because all the games that have happened with Montreal where they've tied it late, they put Suzuki and Drew out there to get a goal and those guys get the goals. And then when you need a goal the most in three on three, none of those guys start. And it's Phil Deneau who was demoted to the third line and Paul Byron, a guy who was on waivers uh, the, the night of, and they keep doing this. And then whenever they ask him, like the media members are catching on to it. And I watched Ducharme's press conference and they're always saying like, Hey, so I noticed you started to know and Byron, like, what's the deal with that? And he says, well, we want to win the face off, get possession, tire them out. And then, and then get our guys on who can attack. I don't agree with that philosophy at all. Well, yeah. So that that was extremely painful to watch. Um, yeah. Vancouver has an, a very exciting and fast overtime team, even with Pedersen out. Yep. Uh, because you can put you have Miller, Besser, and say Hughes, and yeah, Montreal just kind of stymied that, and it was just not not an enjoyable uh, not an enjoyable overtime. I will anyway, say that the okay. one that the overtime that on Saturday was one of, and this is so, this is so sad, but that was one of Montreal's better ones near the end. The Jonathan drew rush was probably the most exciting thing I've ever seen in a Habs overtime, but that's, that's so sad. Well, uh, that was, that was a pretty nice like little move though. You got to admit. Okay. Well, Vancouver does that like five times for overtime. Anyway. Now I have to ask because uh, can you remind me who started for the Habs in the first game against Vancouver? First game, it was Dano and Byron. No, no, no. Sorry, in net, just in general. Oh, the game. Uh, that was. Oh, that was Allen. And that then was it was Allen. Price in the second that game. It was Price, yeah. Uh, Price did not look very good. No. At all. No. That was. That was. Nah. Uh, what? Sorry. What was? Can you remind me if you know off the top of your head what was the final score of that game? The uh, second that was one. Five four in the. Well, I guess five. Yeah, in the shootout. Uh, four. Yeah, five four in the shootout. Yeah. Vancouver had eighteen shots. Price looked horrible price looked and and i've i've always really really liked price even through the the first i don't know a few weeks of this season i stuck up for him but that was just uh that was hard to watch um especially for for a guy with uh kind of the history he has but i don't know alan looks good so you got that going for you out of vancouver we have it's it's a bit embarrassing, especially because it involves the Leafs, which we, hate we don't we don't really like to talk about no, or give don't. them any kind of credit. But uh, Jim Benning picked up Jimmy VC and Travis Boyd off of the Leafs waiver wire. Kyle Dubas uh, seems to be doing much of Jim Benning's job, and I <laughs> m- uh, like most of uh, most Vancouver fans agree those are good pickups. I think especially the Travis Boyd pickup. Yeah, uh, Vancouver's hurting, hurting down the middle right now, literally injury wise, hurting down the middle. Uh, and then Bo Horvat is probably going to be out for a while after last night. Why? What happened? Last night? I didn't see that. He blocked a shot. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, in right. the there ankle, struggled out. He looked like he was in. He was in a lot of pain. Um, I saw 
uh, someone online theorizing that it could be six to eight weeks, which is not not good. I'm sure we'll hear today or tomorrow. But yep. yeah, the two two good pickups for Vancouver, uh, and and that's the the way they had to do it. I don't know. I want to I want to ask you is should should that be a red flag for for I don't know Canucks fans for Canucks management that that is kind of the methodology that they're going about acquiring these these depth forwards that are are quality depth forwards at a good price um well it's a you can have a glass half full or glass half empty approach of this I feel like adding two depth players who while not making a lot are still did okay Travis Boyd was doing pretty well in Toronto uh, he was getting, I'm pretty sure for a, a little bit of time, he was playing on their first power play. Whenever I watched Toronto, he seemed okay. Uh, VC is the one that I think, you know, everyone kept saying every time he was bounced around, it's very low risk, high reward. He had what, five, six goals in Toronto. He wasn't, yeah. he wasn't nothing, consistent nothing special. and he doesn't, he didn't do much as far as even strength, but you know, the pucks on his stick, he can still be somewhat dangerous. Sort of an indictment on, on Jim Benning's off season and how he kind of missed the mark on certain certain guys letting players walk, not really, uh, you know, replacing the guys he lost, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that that's how he had to go about it. But as a Canucks fan, if you have injuries, I wouldn't really look at this as a negative. You're getting, you're getting two players who can play in your top nine. At least you don't want both those guys in your top six, of course, but in your top nine, adding two guys who did pretty well in Toronto, they, you know, Vancouver also has the talent, uh, Besser. And I know not Horvath cause he's injured, but Miller and, and, and Patterson, whenever he comes back, you can't be too upset about it. It just bigger picture. It, it's unfortunate that it led to, you know, Jim Benning's terrible off season. He couldn't, he's not, doesn't have a lot of wiggle room. So he has to resort to picking up guys off waivers. I think that's the unfortunate part, but as far as these additions alone, you can't be too upset about it. And if it doesn't work, then it's, it's not a lot of money to, to bury. I agree. I think, I think the low risk aspect is kind of key here, especially, like I said, with the situation Vancouver has yeah. found themselves in. Nick isn't here, but we should uh, we should get, we should give a shout out to his Senators last night. Philip Gustafson, thirty five saves in thirty six shots. Ottawa one two one against Calgary. It appears that just about everyone except for who they signed as their starting goalie is playing kind of out of their mind. Uh, Matt Murray is not good. Everyone else they throw in the net seems to be doing just fine. So I don't know what you want to make of that, but. That, that's great that, and i feel really bad for joy decor well I yeah and i'm watch. just saying like it's a matter of time until no I, I won't say that i won't say no that, but, but i yeah. know what you mean because that's yeah. the thing is everyone's like man what if he gets hurt and it's true yeah. i love that decor interview i i love i'm kind of a sucker for like really good interviews and players take the time to say how they actually feel and how what what's going yeah. on in their head and he seemed genuinely um happy it wasn't like a, yeah you know it feels good to get it but he he went on and on and on and he was like kind of like telling a story and i think that's really cool and, and I'll, I'll say it, like i've really enjoyed watching ottawa this year i've watched some of their games and even though they're bad they're still pretty fun they play they're so likable like i they are like I, and that, i don't I, understand every they have so many likable characters i don't under maybe it's just kind of well, like the underdog mentality that i think they, it's the underdog mentality because before i didn't like them that much and i've, I've when they were kinda, good you mean when like, they were yeah when they were good and Montreal had a lot of playoff series against them and it's like yeah. I did not like them I didn't like Mark Stone uh, I didn't like Eric Griba because the whole Eric Griba Lars Eller uh, thing that happened but how do you not like Mark he, Stone I didn't like him on the sense I, I love him now Why not? obviously just because he was good I just I I as a Habs fan I found him irritating okay. I'm not because you like Eric Carlson 
Yeah, but it's frustrating when Eric Carlson, Carlson does cool things against your favorite team. Yeah. But he was he was for sure one of my favorite, probably oh, my yeah. favorite non so much for a few years. He's awesome. Nick's Nick's gonna be upset that we're talking about Eric Carlson yeah. <laughs> without him on. But look at like they shut down Calgary last night. Like Daryl Sutter, first couple games were against Montreal and they totally like just shut down Montreal. But they shut down the Flames last night. And, well, yeah, and- that might be more of a of a notion of Montreal rather than Ottawa, but who knows? Anyway. I know you're not much of a basketball fan, and neither am I, but I especially college basketball. But I want to table an idea to you because as anyone who uh, has internet access and is on Twitter probably knows, we are in the midst of March Madness, NCAA college basketball. I want to ask, do you think a full league, one loss knockout kind of tournament would work in the NHL? Would you watch it? Do you think... Do you think it would be something that, obviously not for playoffs, but do you think it would be something that would uh, that would maybe work, bring in bring in viewers, bring in a bit of excitement? What what time of year would it be in? That's the whole thing. I'm thinking like you wouldn't do it before the playoffs. Guys wouldn't You'd... want to risk getting gassed before the actual playoffs. What about what do they? Okay, win? What about what about instead of doing a pre? You know how teams play like. Um, a few preseason games, like I don't know, two to f- three to five, maybe. Yeah. What if you did? What if you did a preseason tournament? Obviously, the logistics for this would be incredibly over the top and unnecessary. But a preseason tournament, because the max amount of games any team would play would be because you have sixteen on each side. Sixteen. Yeah. It would be what five games. Yep. I I hadn't thought of that until you asked me that question, but that would be because that's cool. I like the idea, but then I'm thinking, what do they win? Is it more likely for them to give it their all? Well, no, um, probably not. And yeah, if you don't win anything, they, if it's if it's really I, I like just the, I like the idea. I like the idea. Maybe something like that, but like for a charity, I feel like there could be more charity in the NHL, um, raising awareness, games yeah. like that, that kind of thing. But I, I don't hate the idea. No, I think that'd be cool. Um, I think there'd be a lot of. I, I think there. I think a lot of the young teams would do well. I think. Uh, I don't know. We'll, see, think, like, we'll the closest, see when the NHL takes this idea. And usually. I also think when you, you just mentioned that, it gave me a, made me think the, the youngest teams would do well. You'd have to see different approaches because like over the course of a seven game series, teams sometimes play more defensive. They kind of play to defend where some teams could just go all out, all offense, take the risks just for that yeah. one game, kind of roll the dice. Well, more. that's the thing. Yeah. One game. Yeah. Like that's yeah. How do you, so, yeah. Who knows? The NHL is probably listening. So we will see. <laughs> I want to loop back to, we talked about Montreal and Edmonton being postponed from a Montreal Canadian standpoint, but I looked it up quickly yesterday, including last night's game. And I believe there's one, like a scheduled postponement for either tonight or tomorrow. And let me just confirm that Uh, tomorrow. Nope. Sorry. Tonight. uh, The Islanders and Bruins is postponed. There have been 39 uh, games postponed. Uh, no, I should say affected either, uh, postponed directly because of, um, COVID protocol or as a chain reaction from other postponements. So just 39 games have been affected by some sort of COVID protocol. You know, I wish at the beginning of the year, we should have kind of gave predictions on how well the league would handle this, but 39 games over two months in, to the season, uh, well over, well, yeah, over halfway through the season. 
is that better than what you would expected? Um, I mean, it, it's a bit tricky to answer because the Canadian division is uh, obviously coming at it from a bit of a different circumstance, but 39 games to me doesn't seem like it's that bad in the grand scheme of things. No. And I think like 30, okay, 39 is not a good number. Let's get that straight. Like 39 well, games. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of games, but I feel like so many of the games that were postponed were just to be sure. And I'd rather the NHL be extra cautious and making sure that everything is in place. Um, that because for example, like right now, we don't know for sure that so and I'll touch on Montreal here. We don't know for sure that Kakaniami and Armia have COVID. They could have been exposed to someone who had COVID at the grocery store. Um, you know, so one of the coaches when they go home, who these people see when they go home. I'm pretty sure they have like pretty fixed rules, like okay, only go to the grocery store. You know, if you're gonna go to the gym, make it at the practice facility, whatever. But I think uh I think we assume 39. It's like, oh, that's a bad number. It's like, well, how many of those games actually were because people had COVID? You know, we saw like the the big the big spreads were at the beginning of the year. That was with Dallas, Columbus. Yeah, right off the bat, Dallas, yeah. Yeah, and Dallas probably was affected the worst. Dallas, Columbus, I think Colorado had a couple, uh, Buffalo. But I'm I'm having a hard time thinking of all going through a list of teams where there's been a big spread of COVID. I think a lot of the time it's just to be just to be safe and make sure that not that one's have had there it. Been, so it, and I, this is a genuine question. I don't know. Have there been any instances? where there it was like a clear um like urgent matter to cancel the game i can't think aside from maybe head, dallas no. at the beginning of the year i don't think there's been anything that was like columbus too right to the point of of dangerous yeah no yeah, yeah. i think i think da- i think dallas columbus and then i'm trying to i know i know rista line had it pretty bad i remember like hearing the details about it like he couldn't really move but yeah, yeah, again yeah. buffalo still followed boston's in a swing now that doesn't yeah, but, great, but... I, I would rather the NHL be extra careful. Oh, and if course, someone yeah. could is potentially at risk, then then cancel it. And I think, yeah, to answer your question, because we've sort of gone uh, back and forth here, I do think that's a, that's the number isn't great, but knowing how many of those are actually COVID cases, the NHL has done a pretty good job. And I think it's a lot better than what I expected. I should I should have looked it up. I should have compared it to um, <clears throat> kind of like a, a relative comparison to other leagues. But, uh, yeah, I feel like the NHL – would be doing all right uh, as of now. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. What we're about, we're about uh, six, seven weeks away from the end of the season. So we'll see. Speaking of COVID, and it, I hope it's just purely coincidental. Uh, Montreal's new head coach has a few. Uh, he seems to struggle to keep his mask over the uh, the parts of his face that should be covered. Uh, it's kind of the point of a mask. Mm-hmm. I and and I've seen this on on Twitter a lot. There was a lot. I mean, obviously, I'm on Vancouver Twitter. I saw a lot of it when Vancouver was playing Montreal. Uh, that being said, you you also see it. I'm Travis Green. He'll, he'll when he's yelling at the ref, he'll he'll pull down his mask and and he'll yell. Um, in other sports, um, Nick Nurse just got fined in the NBA for, I believe, throwing his mask. I don't know if he threw it at someone or just threw it. Uh, he just got fined uh, quite a bit for that, for for violating mask policy. I don't know exactly what mask policy is. I know in the bubble it was, I think it was mostly up to the coach's discretion, like just please do your best Yeah. to, uh, to keep your mask on. I don't know what it is. Uh, this season, but yeah. what do you think? I mean, you're, you're the you're the Habs fan. It's uh, it's your team's coach that's doing this. It's it's certainly not a good look. 
That's for uh, sure. It isn't a good look. And this kind of, and I might go off topic a little bit, this kind of ties into what happened earlier with Ovechkin. Not doesn't tie into it, but it, it reminds me of what happened with, earlier with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and was it Samsonov? I don't remember. Anyway, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they could be in their own rooms. They would be practicing together. They'd be on the bus together, but they couldn't be in a hotel room together. And people were saying, this doesn't really make sense. They're going to be together anyway. They're all, you know, right together on the bench. They celebrate together. They are all spitting on the bench. Um, they're not, obviously, they can't social distance. So the rule didn't te- technically make sense, but it is the rule. And that's the thing. This is a rule that coaches should follow. I personally, I don't get it. I think they're all getting the coaches and the players get tested every time before they go into the arena. They get tested every single day, sometimes twice a day, sometimes three times a day. And for a coach, first of all, we know with masks, it's kind of hard to hear someone and coaches are yelling. Hockey arenas are loud. You're yelling at your players. You're yelling at the ref. You need to get a message through. And it's very hard to do that with a mask on. And I'm not excusing that as a reason to break the rules, but I understand why he did it. Uh, This isn't, limited to, to just Ducharme. Uh, DJ Smith is notorious for this in Ottawa. I've never seen yeah, that guy yeah, have yeah. a mask on his on his face. Uh, there was a video of uh, Joel Quenneville in Florida just completely hanging down and like yelling in the ref's face. And I think the players aren't wearing them. They're all together. They're together with the coach. I don't really understand the coaches having to wear it. But at the same time, if it is the rule, then you should follow it. I just don't really think it makes sense. I agree. And I, I, I understand why the coaches have to wear it because – Obviously, you're not going to make the players wear masks, obviously, even when you're on the bench. You're not going to make the refs wear masks. The coaches are in a their job. You can wear a mask like you're not you're not in a high. Well, sometimes it gets pretty intense, but you're not in a high intensity job. You can wear a mask. Yeah. Should you wear a mask if you're being tested every day and you're you're around people that are being tested every day? Probably not. Like, it's probably fine. But that is the rule. It, It is not impeding your job that much if if you are far enough away from the ref where you you need to take your mask down so they can read lips makes sense but for the most part you you should have it on and you you nailed it the rule is the rule regardless of why it's the rule and just follow it like i'm wondering if that changes though like if you know certain i know the rangers i know dallas vegas they have fans in their buildings like hockey arenas are loud there yeah. everyone is yelling there's all the noise from the skates and the six it's very hard like even what you know when you go to a store and you someone talks to you at the counter it's hard to hear it it's, it's really muffled and i feel like yeah. you're trying to get the message across it's difficult um and i don't know i feel like it's probably tough for coaches it's probably tough for players to hear it as well when there's that muffling i think i wonder yeah, if there, i actually wonder if there'd be some some changes coming forward like they're all in there and like look you see the broadcast you know they'll show the broadcast booth with whoever run tsn or sportsnet they're not wearing masks they're beside each other they're not wearing masks you know yeah but but they they will be in in every situation where they can when they're not on camera they'll be well not the commentators obviously who like doing play-by-play but when they're not on camera and stuff they'll be wearing masks like they will be yeah and i guess i don't know i think you you work so closely with the players as a coach you know and i i think yeah no i agree i agree i just i think the coach's job it's not it is impeded by wearing a mask. Definitely some aspects. It's going to be a struggle that you have to have a mask on. And I suppose just my opinion, taking it off for those instances is acceptable is reasonable. But I think for the most part, your job allows you to wear a mask. And if it's a rule, just do it. 
just today it was i don't i don't know what the correct term would be um then i'll read out from pierre lebrun um source the nhl's proposed draft lottery changes have received formal board of governors approval so approval from the board whatever degree of certification that means uh after voting has been completed it's a oh sorry after voting has been completed period it's a done deal so this is confirmed um the nhl has modified the uh highly controversial controversial uh draft lottery this includes a restriction of two lottery wins over a five-year span i don't know exactly how that's going to work um say say you win you win in 2020 then you win in 2021 do you have to wait until 25 or 26 or 27 to win again i'm I'm not sure about that one. Um, The second major change, no jumping more than 10 spots. This one I have some issue with, but we'll, we'll circle back. And finally uh, the most clear change, probably the lottery is only for the first and second pick as opposed to what was the first, second and third pick. Let's start with that, with that first change Two lottery wins over five years. How do you feel about that? I think, I think that's good. And I'm on the athletic right now and I'm reading some of the comments and I feel like a lot of this can be interpreted different ways, but someone's saying here, like someone said he disagrees with it because it limits the team. If it limits the team to two lottery wins in five years, if there's a truly awful team that gets the top number two twice in in week years, like a Yakupov or a Ryan Murray, but then someone that's like a McDavid or Matthews type year, should they be eligible to get, get it a third time. I don't think that's the case. I feel like if you need a first or second overall pick that many years in a row, there are bigger problems than just looking for the draft. Um, but I, I think it's a good thing. Look at what Edmonton's done. Look how many times Edmonton has won the draft lottery and they kept, they, they their terrible play continued. A team like Buffalo, who of their last like 10 years have, has picked in the top 10 uh, eight times, or it was at least 10 times in the last 12 years. Um, I think at a certain point, you do need to have restrictions on how many times a team can can get it. I look at a team like Detroit and New York last year. There is not a team that deserved that first overall pick more than the Detroit Red Wings. And the New York Rangers were in the play-ins. The New York Rangers, who already have an unbelievable prospect pool, they have guys like Kravtsov, they have Panarin, who's there, they have Kreider, they have a good, they have a good core, they have a good future, and they're gifted the first overall pick. And we've talked about the Rangers before and how they're lucky, but they were gifted. The, the New York Rangers did not deserve that first overall pick, the Detroit Red Wings did. And I think, you know, if you, you know, the NHL wants teams to be good. And if you want a team and especially in a market like Detroit to be good, if they get a top, top three pick twice in five years, that could accelerate their rebuild, but they didn't get that. They got fourth. So I I think that's a good thing. And I think having a limit to how many times you can, you can do it is good. I agree with what you said. I do have there. I have, I have an issue in terms, I don't, I don't, maybe it's precedent. I don't, I don't really know how to word it, but what I don't like about this specific rule is that the, the draft lottery is now sort of like explicitly a, it's not isolated to one year. Like you're, you're kind of looking at it over a, like in this case, a five-year process, if that makes sense. Um, I, I don't know if it, if, if it, if it's rational to, to have 
to kind of be looking at a team, especially a struggling team in a long-term sense. I think looking at it year by year is the best way to go. And by doing this, you're kind of, you're, you're kind of opening up a wider frame of, of how you're awarding these, uh, you know, first overall, second overall stuff like that. So that I, I'd have to think on it more, but that's a bit concerning for me at least. You think it incentivizes tanking by giving them two years? So if they say, okay, we have two and five years, it could benefit us from. Well, okay, so no, that's that's not what I only get. No, but do you think it could? Good point. Yeah, it. Because either either do that. If you don't have that, then teams know. Well, if I don't have a limit, I can still tank. They also know if I do have a limit, I should take advantage of my team being bad. I almost, I almost, yeah. I wonder if they're if they're making two too clear of outlines and teams could kind of abuse the outlines because they're like just very explicitly posted. This is how it works. And teams could kind of find a way around that. Hopefully we don't see that, but I mean, you never know. Uh, So that, that is a good point. Actually. I hadn't considered that, but. So, and it also says the the maximum you can move up is 10 spots. So that means like 16 can move up to six. So I don't, I don't like this one. But 11 um, couldn't move up to, to two, right? Because if it's only for the last lottery is only for the last three teams, right? N- what do you mean? So if team can't move, a team can only move up 10 spots. Yeah. But you mentioned, didn't you say the, only the last three teams are going to be put in the lottery or is no. it still the last 10? The last it's 10 it's the last, it's, it's still the last 15. Then. Yeah. 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 Okay, but, okay, you, never mind but 15 can't move up to. No, 15 can only move up to five. Yeah. So okay. I don't like this because. I think there are already restrictions around, well, not restrictions, but there's already rules in place that kind of deal with this. Uh, If 15 moves up to one, the percentage of that happening is so, so, so small, but there's still, there's still a chance. So I don't know why they, why they need to get rid of that. The the percentages and the chances are there for a reason. It's what 18.5% for first over for like last overall to get first overall, something like that. So they clearly have the best the best opportunity compared to the fifteenth last so team, team. It's like it's like two percent or one percent. Yeah. So I like I, I think the percentages are that low for a reason. I don't think you should just restrict a team from. But it getting, still happens. Like remember, it what does. Was it, two and, years ago, but, Chicago. But so what? Jumped? Because they just yeah. got lucky. That's how it works. Like it's a lot. Yeah. Of, they got extremely lucky with their two point two percent or whatever. So I don't really understand why you need to implement something like that because there are already the percentages are the percentages for a reason. And they're, they're kind of manipulating the team's chances. I, I'm not a fan of that. I just think, I, I think the 15th last team should have that whatever should, percent yeah. chance and they yes. shouldn't, they shouldn't be kind of eliminated and from that contention. I also think if a team is so bad that they have to pick first overall three times or what was it three times or two times? In five years two times two times then if they need if they're in that lottery and they technically even though they won't get it they are eligible to be picking first for the third time then i have no problem at all knocking them down to pick two or three because you don't yeah. need it you don't need it yeah. that many times you know if, if there's there's bigger problems if, if it's yeah if you're, yeah it's you made doing... a good point about edmonton if if you're if you've picked like not this isn't exactly what happened with edmonton but if you pick twice if you pick first overall twice in a row and you're still in contention, like a high percentage contention for that first overall pick, you definitely have some other things you need to figure out. 
yeah rather than just relying on another first overall pick yeah but um yeah i mean we've mostly touched on the final rule there is uh the lottery is only for the first and second spot i'm fine with this uh it's with with all things considered especially with the other rules it it doesn't change too much um it just kind of kind of narrows down the the lottery options i guess so I, I don't really have an issue with it so we will uh we'll leave it off there for today we'll be back later in the week uh hopefully there'll be a more recent habs game to talk about but uh, we will see news is coming out of montreal by the minute uh with our uh special montreal canadians insider here live on take to take uh be sure to follow us on twitter at take to take radio and we will see you later this week with uh with the full group myself patrick talon and nick robinson we will see you soon thanks for listening